Hi, this is Pastor Ben Fagelin from Bright Church. I'm so glad you're listening to this podcast. I hope this message inspires you, deepens your relationship with God, and that you're encouraged in your faith. We hope to see you soon at Bright. Heavenly Father, I thank you for every person here, whether it's our first time or whether we've been here a million times. I just thank you, every person precious in your sight. And so I just ask tonight, let your word do us good. I pray it would encourage us. I pray it would form a deposit in our hearts that we would draw from over the days and weeks ahead that would cause us just to live with our head held high and to achieve all that you have for our lives in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. 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 The Bible says that everything in the universe was created by God and it tells us how he did it. It says that everything we see around us was created by the spoken word of God. God said, let there be light. and There was light. God said, let there be fauna and vegetation and there were trees and plants. God said, let there be animals and there were animals. God said, let there be planets and The galaxies were formed. God said, let there be Britney Spears. And all the angels said, no. It was too late. God said, oops, I did it again. And so everything God made, he made by his spoken word until it came to creating human beings. When God created humanity, he varied his creative technique, thereby demonstrating the unique and peculiar relationship we would have with him compared to everything else in creation. God created everything by his spoken word, but when it came to you and I, he created us in a personal way. He got personally involved. Well, the Bible says he created with his own hands out of the dust of the ground a human form. And then the first kiss in human history was not on Netflix, but rather God himself pressing his lips, as it were, against those of this dusty outline, breathed his breath into it, and it became a living soul. Here's the quote, made in the image of God. If you can understand that simple phrase from the beginning of Scripture, that you and I are made in the image of God, that changes everything about your life. When you understand that you're made in the image of God, it it changes everything. It changes the way you see yourself. It changes the way you see your future. It changes the way you see your neighbor. And it changes the way you see Jesus. I can imagine on day uh, six, the angels were uh, kind of curious about what was going on with God. Um, Don't get me wrong, God is always happy. But on day six, he was just particularly happy. He had that former Australian treasurer, Peter Costello, smirk. He he looked like a cat that had swallowed a budgie. He just just looked particularly pleased with himself. And I imagine one of the angels asking, what's going on? Like, don't get us wrong. You know, we know you don't have bad hair days, so you're always happy. Heaven is a happy place. But but today you seem particularly happy. Is is there something that's happened? And I can imagine God being pleased that they noticed he would have replied, well, well as you're aware, I've, I've been busy making things. They, they, they said, we know the last five days have been incredible. I mean, the universe, the gate, spectacular. God says, I know, it's all good. But today, I did something very good. The angels said, what'd you do? God said, today, I made people. And all the angels rocked back on their heels and said, whoa, people. Until one of them asked what all the others were thinking. What's a people? Because they'd never been a people before. 
So I imagine one of the angels was selected to go down to planet Earth and observe these people with whom God was so enamored and bring back a report to the heavenly hosts who were waiting with bated breath. These people that God's so excited. Well, what is so exciting about people that God would be, be so enamored with? But I can imagine this angel observing the first human beings, our father and mother, Adam and Eve, and watching and then returning to heaven and trying to describe human beings to the heavenly hosts. Have you ever tried to describe something to someone and they've got not a clue what you're talking about? I mean, they, they can't comprehend what it is you're trying to describe to them. So what you do is you employ a technique where you try to think of something that's similar or comparable with which they are familiar. For instance, if you didn't know what a mandarin was, I'd say, well, well all right, a mandarin, how, how could I help you? Well, all right, you're familiar with an orange, and immediately you've, you've got a frame of reference, right? If you didn't know what a Holden Commodore was, I'd say, well, a Holden Commodore, how could I help you? All right, so you're familiar with a Ford Falcon, and then you've got a, 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 an idea. If you didn't know what a Daewoo was, I'd say, all right, so how can I explain a Daewoo to you? Are you familiar with a rusted, twisted piece of crap? And, and so immediately, you have a fairly good idea of what it is I'm, I'm trying to describe. And so I can imagine this angel going through its database, trying to think of something with which heaven is familiar, something which is comparable to you and I, that heaven would understand. And this angel says, well, well people, that they're, they're kind of like, well, well, you know God. Because the fact is, when the Bible says you and I are made in the image and likeness of God, what it means is there is nothing in the universe more like God himself than you. When the Bible says you and I, no matter who you are, where you've been or what you've done, are made in the image and likeness of God, it means that when heaven looks at you, heaven doesn't sit there thinking, man, what a screw up. The first thing heaven thinks is not, man, how many mistakes has she made? Not, man, what a screw up he is. The first thing heaven thinks when heaven looks at you is, man, doesn't he remind you of someone? Doesn't she ring a bell? I know her from, she's just like God. When the Bible says that you and I are made in the image and likeness of God, it literally means there is nothing in the universe more like God himself than you. And when you realize that and believe that, if you believe nothing else, that is enough to change your life forever. The first thing it changes is the way you see yourself. You start to realize that you have intrinsic value. If you're made in the image and likeness of God and you believe that, you realize that you have intrinsic value. If you don't know what I mean by intrinsic, I don't blame you. We live in a culture that measures everything by externals. I grew up in Melbourne going to Kerry Baptist Grammar School in Kew, the same school that Peter Costello, former federal treasurer, went to, same school that Graham Yellop, former Australian test cricket captain, went to, same school that Steve Vizard, late-night TV host and corporate lawyer, went to. My parents could not afford to send me there, but because it's a Baptist school and my father was a Baptist minister, they didn't have to pay fees. My best friend was John Raftopoulos. He was an only child whose parents owned three motor vehicles, a Porsche 911, a late model Rolls-Royce, and a Land Rover. My mum used to pick me up in an ex-police Holden Kingswood. All right, for you to laugh, you weren't being picked up in it. I remember in grade four asking her if rather than pick me up from the front gate, if she could park a block from the school and perhaps I could walk to her. She said, why would you want to do that? I was in grade four. I said, mum... Childhood obesity is such a massive issue in this country. It's costing the federal health budget a fortune. And so I think it would be good for me to do my part for the national benefit and and walk off some of my tuck shop. And of course, it had nothing to do with my bulging physique and everything to do with the fact that even in grade four, I knew how the world worked. I was desperately afraid if someone saw the junk that my mum picked me up in, they would look at the low value of the car and ascribe a low value to me. Because we live in a culture that measures everything by externals. Do you remember at school when they used to have free dress day? Poorly named because free dress day, but if you wear the wrong clothes on that day, you ruin your life. (laughs) 
And we well understand it. We live in a culture that believes that your net worth and your self-worth are the same thing. But of course, they're not. Your value is not determined by your valuables. If you're made in the image and likeness of God, then you have value, not because of what you do or don't have, but because of who you are at your core. You're made in the likeness of God himself. Edward Skidelsky, writing in the Australian Financial Review recently, said, we care desperately what other people think because there's no longer any higher court of appeal. The terrors of hell have been replaced by the terrors of social and sexual failure. If, if judgment is not cosmic, it's now. And he's right, and it's frightening. We don't believe in an afterlife anymore. When you die, that's it. There's no judgment to come. There's only judgment now. And how do we judge people now? By their social uh, popularity and their sexual prowess. And looking at most of you, that's bad news for most of you. Because <laughs> I don't see Brad or Angeline here. Think about it, girls. There are three billion of you and six supermodels. You work out your odds. And so when you live in a world that measures everything by externals and believes your net worth and your self-worth, your value and your valuables are all one and the same, you're on a perpetual cycle where it never ends. No wonder we're the most, de- most medicated generation in history because we're desperately trying to feel valuable because of external things. But when you measure your value based on what you have or don't have, you will never ever reach a place of confidence and security. But when you suddenly realize you're made in the image of God, it changes everything. It changes the way you see yourself. A friend of mine in Brisbane was running a seminar for young women who'd been badly abused. Had about 100 ladies there who'd suffered terrible things growing up. And um, I was told that during the seminar, the facilitator got three of these women on stage and gave them each a $100 note. The facilitator said to them, I want you for just a few seconds to pretend the $100 note is you growing up. And I want you to project onto the $100 note the way you were treated as a young woman. And so because they'd been together for a few days and there was trust built, that they agreed to do this. And I'm told it was incredibly emotional. The first woman started spitting and, and, and tearing at this $100 bill. That The second woman, I'm told, threw it on the ground, started stomping on it. And people start crying because it's not a $100 bill. This is them, the way they were treated. That The third woman starts saying the most horrendous things about this hundred dollar bill and 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 tearing at it and screwing it up and 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 after what seemed like an eternity just a few seconds the facilitator said all right you can stop and everyone sort of collected themselves and and the facilitator said i've got one question then you can go back to your seats i remember hearing the story and thinking it would want to be a good question after like dragging up all that emotional baggage the question was this if you were to take that one hundred dollar bill to any store in brisbane what would it be worth kind of obvious isn't a hundred bucks is a hundred bucks it doesn't matter what you call it it doesn't matter how much you screw with it it doesn't matter how much you walk over it a hundred dollars is a hundred dollars and the point was well made it doesn't matter who screwed with you it doesn't matter what they said about you it doesn't matter who's trampled over you you're worth an enormous amount not based on what has or has not happened to you but based on whose you are if you're made in the image of God and you believe that then your value is not determined by anything external you have intrinsic worth and nothing and no one can take that from you when you realize you're made in the image of God and it's that that makes you valuable that there's nothing in the universe more like God himself than you you become the most confident person in the room because the label on your jeans or your shoes adds nothing or detracts nothing from who you are you're made in the likeness of God and you can rest easy in that the scientists did a study recently where they figured out that if we reduced you to your most basic chemical compounds 
there's enough sugar in you to fill a small bowl. There's enough potassium to uh, shoot a toy cannon. There's enough phosphorus to make out of your body 2,200 match heads. There's enough iron to make a small nail and enough fat to make seven bars of soap. Some of you could probably go eight or nine. Um, (laughs) Time magazine got a hold of this study and, and they worked out that on today's market at your most basic chemical compound, you and I are worth about $3.50. When I read that, I thought, that is, like, God is amazing for 3 bucks 50 He got someone who walks and talks, who laughs and cries, who dreams and sleeps. I'm worth about the same as a Big Mac and yet capable of so much more. Here's the point. The more ordinary they try to make me, the greater the miracle I become. I am made in the image and likeness of God. And that means I have intrinsic value. It doesn't matter who screws with you. It doesn't matter who walks over you. It doesn't matter what they say about you. No one and nothing can strip that from you. When you realize this simple truth, you're made in the likeness of God. All of a sudden, you can walk with confidence and security. You can walk into any room in Melbourne and feel okay about yourself when you know who you are. The second thing it changes is your whole future. When you understand you're made in the image and likeness of God, it changes the way you see your future. In 2008, uh, the Copenhagen Zoo, sorry, in 1998 rather, the Copenhagen Zoo announced with great fanfare a brand new exhibit uh, for two weeks and two weeks only on live display in the zoo, a couple of human beings. So a man and a woman behind a glass enclosure You can pay your money at the gate and come and watch them. You're looking at me incredulously thinking, why would people pay money to watch people at the zoo? Well, the point the curator said was we're going to put them right next to the monkey enclosure to show just how alike human beings and chimpanzees actually are. Did you not know that humans and chimps share 98.5% of the same chromosomes? That's actually true. I remember reading that thinking human beings and chimpanzees share 98.5% of the same chromosomes. Wow. Difference the 1.5% makes. (laughs) So for two weeks, while the chimpanzees swung from branches, sniffed each other's bottoms and scratched their armpits, the human beings checked their stock report on the internet, planned an extension on their home, planned an overseas holiday, listened to music, received and and, um, had visitations from their family, talked about their future holiday plans. It was obvious there's a massive difference between chimpanzees and human beings. Towards the end of the two weeks, a reporter interviewing the couple said, uh, you've only got a couple of nights left in the zoo. While you're here, are you going to be, uh, you know, having sex? The woman sniffed at the reporter and said, of course not. What do you think we are? Well, it's kind of obvious what the world thinks we are. But when you understand you're made in the image and likeness of God, you identify with higher things not lower things. Uh, Francis Bacon said, we're akin to the beasts in our body, but if we be not akin to God in our spirit, we are wretched and miserable creatures indeed. When you realize you're made in the image and likeness of God, you identify with higher things, not the lowest common denominator. But it's because people don't understand. You're made in the likeness of God that they behave like animals. Scarlett Johansson, the sex symbol who understands so little of what it is she's supposed to symbolize, told a Lua magazine in 2008, she doesn't believe in monogamous relationships monogamy is where you're sexually faithful to one person for life she said, i don't believe in it they asked her well, why don't you believe in it she said it's not natural they said what do you mean monogamy is not natural she said well look at animals they're not monogamous i would suggest you've reached a poor place indeed when you're looking to your neighbor's dog for tips on your own sexual etiquette <laughs> but she's simply doing what our culture has taught her to do 
Well, you're just a slightly more evolved version of animals. So if you want to know how you're meant to behave, just look to your ancestors in the animal kingdom. But when you understand you're made in the image and likeness of God, you start to identify with higher things. It changes the way you see your future. You ever wondered why we use cutlery? I have. Why bother with a knife and a fork and a spoon? Why, why, why bother with utensils? Why not just let your head drop into the bowl? And I mean, it would save on washing up for one. In Jewish culture, they have an explanation as to why we use cutlery. That They say that food comes from the earth. That's true. And, and you and I, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, come from the earth. But, but we are not just dust. We are God-breathed dust. Winston Churchill said, all men are worms. I just happen to believe I am a glowworm. And so, so, so like our food, we come from the earth, but, but we are, we are God-breathed earth. There's a spiritual dimension to us, represented by a faculty of intuition and thought and reason and, and, and will and emotion. And so in Jewish culture, they say it would be inappropriate for me to take my head which represents the spiritual component of me and lower it to the level of my food. So what I do instead is I take a utensil and I elevate my food, that which is natural, and I lift it up to my head, thereby every time I eat, demonstrating the way I live every aspect of my life. See, everything is spiritual for me. When I'm worshipping in church, that's spiritual. But when I'm spending time with my kids, that's spiritual. When I'm holidaying, that's spiritual. When I'm working, that's spiritual. Everything is spiritual because I am a spiritual being made in the image and likeness of God. When you understand you're made in the likeness of God, life takes on significance because you start to identify with higher things. Let me make it clear what I mean. If I'm made in the likeness of God, how should I live? Well, I should live like God would live if he were me. This is how you start to live a life of significance. Instead of looking to your neighbor's dog for tips on how you should behave, you simply say, if I'm made in the likeness of God, what would God do if, if he had gifts like me, talents like me, opportunities like me, if he had an education like me, if he had a job like mine, how would God behave? And then I just do what God would do if I imagine he was me and suddenly I elevate every activity to a level of dignity and significance. And this is how the world has been changed. Most major changes in the world have been made by people who simply understood a simple truth. I'm made in the image of God, therefore I should identify with God and do things like God would do if he were me. William Wilberforce was a young man in the 1700s who was elected to the British Parliament at a very young age. And uh, he, um, he just partied, really, uh, until he was sharing a stagecoach with a guy called John Newton. Uh, you may not know the name John Newton, but you'll know the song for which he's famous. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Uh, I went to buy the music from uh, a store and to my surprise found in the sheet music they'd changed the lyric uh, that saved a wretch like me. They'd changed that because it's not good for your self-esteem and they'd changed it that saved a man like me. But John Newton wrote that he was a wretch because he was. He was a murderer and a rapist making his money from the slave trade, uh, taking um, African people like cattle, shipping them across the sea to sell them as slaves. One particular uh, voyage uh, caught at sea in a massive storm and fearing the ship was about to be struck against the rocks and he would lose his life, he prayed one of those prayers that you pray the night before exams when you haven't studied. God, if you help me tomorrow, I promise I'll do anything for you. You prayed those prayers. A moment of desperation where you just, you know, it's a Hail Mary. God, if you get me out of this, I'll do whatever you want. I remember one Christmas Eve, I, I decided to start my shopping. And um, I went to the local shopping center. And, and who could have guessed? It was Bedlam. There was traffic everywhere. I'm thinking, man, I've only got a couple of hours left to do all my shopping. It's Christmas Eve. There's cars everywhere. I'm never going to get a park. And so I prayed one of those prayers. Lord, if you get me a park, I promise I will do, I will go anywhere. I will serve you for the rest of my, and right at that moment, a car pulled out, leaving a vacant space right in front of the shop I wanted to go to. I said, Lord, don't worry about it. I found one. And so um, 
John Newton, a better man than I, uh, was saved from the storm and, true to his word, quit the slave trade and became a Church of England minister. Uh, Newton is sharing a stagecoach with William Wilberforce and, uh, and shares the gospel with him. Wilberforce uh, prays his first ever prayer, Jesus, forgive my sin, um, come into my heart. Uh, then he goes back to his office in London where he prays his second prayer. Uh, now that I'm a believer um, and going to heaven when I die, what should I do now? And God spoke to him and said, I want you to reform manners through the Commonwealth and abolish slavery. And for the next 30 years, he dedicated himself to the abolition of slavery. And today, slavery is illegal in the Western world because of William Wilberforce's understanding that if I'm made in the likeness of God, I should do things like God would do if he were in Parliament. And he changed the world. When you understand you're made in the image and likeness of God, it doesn't just change the way you see yourself. You realize you've got intrinsic value changes the way you see your future. You start to identify with higher things. See, if you're working at Coles, scanning groceries, you can say, well, that's just a mundane job. That's never." No, no, you, you can give dignity the mo- to the most mundane thing. You can add significance to the most trivial pursuit if you simply say, well, if God was scanning groceries, how would he scan them? If God was simply packing grocery bags for shoppers, how would he do that and how would he interact? And you just start to do it like God would do it if you were in your situation and suddenly the most mundane, ordinary of pursuits takes on spiritual significance and meaning that can literally make a difference to people's lives. From simply understanding, I'm made in the likeness of God, so I'll just do things like God would do if he were me. Stop waiting for something amazing to happen before you start to fulfill destiny. You can fulfill destiny first thing tomorrow if you wake up and say, I'm made in the likeness of God, I'm going to do things like God would do if he were me. Third, if you, I've got 28 of these to get through. I wouldn't laugh if I were you. I'm not, I'm not joking. Third, if I'm made in the image and likeness of God, not only do I have intrinsic value, not only do I identify with higher things, but, but I start to give high value to even the lowest members of society. It changes the way I, I look at other people. If every person is made in the image of God, I start to give high value even to the lowest members of society. Have you ever wondered why the Red Cross is, is, is called the Red Cross and not like the Red Circle? because that would be Japan. (laughs) But why is it called the Red Cross and not the Red Octagon? Or the Red Triangle? Or, you know, the the Red um, Rectangle? It's called the Red Cross because in 1859, Henry de Nantes, a a businessman, is travelling through modern-day Italy where he witnesses a battle in which thousands of men die from treatable wounds. Uh, They were injured but didn't need to die if someone had attended to them medically but no one wanted to risk their own lives going under the cover of fire to render medical assistance. So these men just died like dogs on the field of battle when they could have been saved. Denant was a Christian man and he couldn't bear to see people. It didn't matter what political persuasion. It didn't matter which side they were fighting on. These are people made in the image of God being left to die in the mud. And so he went home to Geneva where he campaigned for the establishment of an organization that would render medical assistance no matter your ethnicity, your political background, where you came from. And the Red Cross was formed, so-called the Red Cross, because it's the cross of Jesus that establishes once and for all our value before God. For God so loved the world, he gave his own son. For all of that, Henry Dunant was the very first winner of the Nobel Peace Prize, I think in 1901. If you go to the Middle East, it's not called the Red Cross. It's called the Red Crescent. 
Because in the Muslim world, they understand better than we do the Christian origins behind what is perhaps the greatest humanitarian organization on the planet. But if you were to scratch beneath the surface of pretty much any organization, in the Western world at least, that's helping people, you'll find, if you go back far enough, someone who understood a simple truth. People are made in the image of God. Even the trade union movement, if you go right back to the beginning of it, it was begun by people who thought, you can't send kids down chimneys. I mean, I know they're small and they fit. I've got to be honest, some of your kids I'd send down the chimneys, but, but you can't send kids down. They're made in the image and likeness of God. You don't do that to people made in God's image. And so the trade union movement was started so that workers were treated with dignity and started to have rights. And we could list numerous organizations if you go right back to the start. Forget what they've become. But if you go back to their origins, it's amazing how typically it was begun by a man or a woman who simply understood one truth, that which I'm trying to communicate with you this evening. People are made in the image of God. And when you understand every person is made in the likeness of God, you can't treat them like you used to. I remember um, talking to a a young woman, Rebecca Williams. Um, She'd be 20-something, single Aussie girl uh, who moved to Cambodia to live. She was back in Australia on a break, and uh, I was quizzing her. I said, why did you move to Cambodia? She said, well, you know, I'm single, um, I'm financial, I don't have any major commitments, and I just thought, you know what, uh, I want to do something to make a difference. And I thought, well, if, if God was single, had no financial commitments, and could go anywhere, where would God go, and what would God do? Identifying with higher things. She said, I felt God say to me, just go and help people who need help. And I thought, well, where in the world do people need help? And there was a thing on the news about Cambodia, and I thought, well, there's a lot of poor people in Cap. So I went. She got involved in a whole lot of NGOs and it was interesting. And then, then she said, and, and I fostered two kids. But like, well, hang on a second, you're a single 20-something, you've, you've got two foster kids? She said, yeah. She showed me these pictures of these two gorgeous Cambodian kids and they're, they're super cute and, and she starts tearing up as she showed me the photo. And, um, and I said, why are you crying? And she said, I just hope they live. I said, is your, is your cooking that bad? <laughs> and she said, it's, it's not my cooking, they're, they're both HIV positive. I said, whoa, 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 hang on a second. So, so you, you fostered two HIV positive kids in your home that you care for and look after. And, and she's like, yeah. I said, I said, why would you do that? She said, well, in Cambodia, they believe that their, their religious philosophy, they have this thing um, called reincarnation. You would have heard of it. It's quite popular amongst young adults in Australia. Oh, yeah, I believe in reincarnation. Yeah, because you're a moron who enjoys the comfort of opinion without the discomfort of thought. <laughs> reincarnation. Hey, don't be such an intellectually lazy idiot where you believe in... Re- it's easy to believe in reincarnation in Australia where no one holds you accountable for it. But you try believing in your really cool reincarnation in a country where they hold you accountable and see how it works out for you. Here's how it works out. You're born with HIV. Now, our philosophy says the life you live is blessed or cursed based on your previous life. In other words, you're getting your just desserts. And you were born with HIV. So what are we to conclude? Well, you must have been very bad in your previous life. And fortunately, in the previous generation, conveniently rather, they had some people who were very bad. Pol Pot and the Khmer Rouge slaughtered millions of their companions. And so they do the math. If you were born with HIV, you must be being punished for being part of Pol Pot's henchmen so we wouldn't cross the road to spit on you, let alone help you, and these kids die in the street. We have young adults in Australia saying, oh, yeah, reincarnation, you're an idiot. Respectfully. Not you're a respectful idiot. I'm respectfully calling you an idiot. She said, and channeling Mother Teresa, she said, I don't see a kid with HIV. I just see Jesus looking back at me. 
My only regret is that I haven't been able to foster more. So I'm like, man, this girl's amazing. Like, I'm, I want to turn to everyone in the hall and say, shut up and listen to this girl. Put her on stage. Give her a microphone. Pin a medal on her chest. Give her a ticker tape parade. Give her the keys to the city. She's unbelievable. And I thought, what a weird reaction from me. Isn't, isn't she doing what Christians do? Isn't that normal Christian? Why would I go, oh, well, you're incredible. Isn't that what every Christian does? Oh, you're so amazing sponsoring a kid. Serious? You don't sponsor a kid? What the heck? We say we believe people are made in the image of God, then we do nothing to help the lowest members of society be uplifted and and given value and dignity and hope. If I'm made in the image of God and you're made in the image of God, then I can't treat you the way I used to. It changes the way I see my neighbor who won't return my tennis balls. It changes the way I see that person at university who, who, you know, I, I, man, I agree. He's annoying. He's a pain in the butt. You know, he really gets on your nerves. But if, if, you, if, you, if you look deep enough, and some people you've got to look a lot deeper than others. Some people are like gold mines. You've got to get rid of a lot of dirt before you get to the gold. But, but if, if you look closely enough, eventually you see this, man, it's, it's, it's marred, but the image of God is still there. And, and that's why everyone else can ostracize and push you away and make fun of you and gossip about you. But I actually can't. I want to. But I, I, actually, I just, I'm not allowed to treat you that way because I believe as a core conviction, you're made in the image of God. And so when I belittle you, when I'm sarcastic to you, when I push you away, when I treat you like you're nothing, when I ostracize you, when I give you your just desserts because you deserve it, I'm doing all of that to Jesus if you're made in his image. And so I agree with everyone in my university tutorial. You're a pain in the butt. And I'm going to treat you with dignity and with honor. And I'm going to give you value. Because of one thing I learned reading scripture. Every person is made in the image and likeness of God. And so I give high value even to the worst, lowest members of society. Last thought, number four. If people are made in the image of God, firstly, it means we have intrinsic value. Second, it means we identify with higher things. Third, it means that we give high value even to the lowest members of society. And fourth, it means we have a different understanding of what it is that Jesus came to do. When I realized every person is made in the image of God, I realized why we so desperately need Jesus. I was reading a book by a guy called Bill Bryson. He's a travel writer, but he wrote a book called A Short History of Nearly Everything. I thought, I'm going to read this and be really smart. I've read it three times, and the effects are going to kick in sometime soon, I'm sure. (laughs) Bill Bryson, you need to know, is a complete atheist, like a total unbeliever. Um, He he believes in Darwinian evolution. And you say, how could a pastor read a book like that? Well, for the same reason that I eat fish. When when I was a little kid, um, I was not allowed to eat fish. My mum would not let me because she was desperately afraid I would choke on one of the bones. But I'm happy to report at age 48, I'm allowed to eat fish. Because I've learned you, you swallow the flesh, you spit out the bones. So I'm reading Bill Bryson. I'm swallowing the flesh, spitting out the bones. Listen, don't consume media mindlessly. Don't just go into a hypnotic state watching your shows on Netflix or watching The Project. God forbid you watch rubbish like that. Or, or, or listening to whatever you listen to on the radio. Consume media, analyzing all the time. What are they saying? What are the underlying messages here? And, and swallow the good stuff, but spit bit out the rest. Bill Bryson says this, he says, it's a strange thought indeed that at the same time human beings are the universe's supreme achievement and its worst nightmare. And I thought, what a great insight. Human beings are the universe's supreme achievement and its worst nightmare all at the same time. 
I thought, that's true. Human beings are capable of such beauty. We, we create cathedrals, we create art galleries, we tame nature and beautify things. But at the same time, we pollute the planet, we rape, pillage and plunder. How can you get from the same species, Adolf Hitler and Mother Teresa? It's unbelievable. And then I thought, the problem's not just out there, the problem's in here. That dichotomy runs straight through my own soul. There are days when I am so good, even the Father confuses me with Jesus. Uh, seriously, I can be so generous and so kind, so loving and so compassionate. I can be so gracious. Man, you'd think I am Jesus himself. And that same afternoon, I can walk all over you, backbite you, bitch about you to get my way. So I'm, it's like I'm schizophrenic. It's like there's two of me. It's exactly what the Bible says, that we're made in the image of God, but fallen from our lofty state. The Bible calls it sin. Francis Schaeffer, the great theologian, described humanity as a glorious ruin. It's not a bad description. If you've ever been to Europe and looked at the glorious ruins, they're ruined, but, but you can see they were meant to be magnificent. But they're not, but they were meant to be. You can see it all there at once. That's you and I. You're a glorious ruin. Just looking at you, I can see you're meant to be awesome. You are something that the whole cosmos says, wow, and yet look what a screw-up you're making of your life. You're a glorious ruin. We're all like that. And suddenly for the first time I realized Jesus didn't come to get me to agree to a whole lot of doctrinal statements. Jesus didn't come to make me religious. Jesus came to restore to me the image in which I was created. And I know I'm meant to be better than I am because every January 1st I determine I'm going to make some changes this year. But I also know I'm incapable because every January 2nd I decide to put it off for another 12 months. I didn't need a church to tell me that I should be more than I am. I've got two kids who tell me all the time. I mean, I, I know myself. I should do better. And I didn't need a church to tell me about sin because I know myself, no matter how many fresh pages I turn over, I make the same mistakes continually. What I needed someone to tell me was that Jesus came and lived a life I should have lived. And then he died the death I deserved to die. And then having done all that for me, he simply says, hey, if you just trust me instead of trying so hard yourself, if you just look at me instead of looking to yourself, I will give you the power, not only to be forgiven for everything you've ever done, but the power to actually transform your life and become increasingly, little by little, bit by bit, who you're supposed to be. And the moment I said yes to Jesus, the rest of my life has been this gradual unfolding as bit by bit he cleans me up and he starts to restore in me the image of God that was marred by my faults, failings and frailties. And that is the gospel message. Not that Jesus came to make you religious. Jesus came to make you magnificent, to be the person you were created to be. You can never get there struggling and striving in your own strength. That's called pride. But the moment you simply say, you know what? I know I'm not a fluke of nature. I know I'm not an accident. I actually believe I was made on purpose for a purpose by a loving God. I see his image in my own life. Love, generosity, compassion, empathy, a desire for, for good for other people. All of that comes from God. I didn't get that from my dog. It's all the image of God in me and yet I screw it up over and over again. Who can deliver me and help me to be who I'm supposed to be? And Jesus says, if you just trust me. Hey, thanks for listening to the Bright Weekly Podcast. 
We hope you're encouraged today and we'd love to see you at one of our services. So to connect further with us, head over to brightchurch.com.